Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, June the 25th. This week's issue of The Lancet, dated June the 26th to July the 2nd, is a diabetes-themed issue, ahead of the American Diabetes Association meeting taking place in Orlando, Florida, from June the 26th to the 29th. The issue is almost entirely made up of diabetes-related content. Our main focus this week will be a discussion with the author of a paper looking at a potential novel drug approach for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. The main Lancet editorial is calling for a change in approach to the way we tackle the burgeoning diabetes epidemic worldwide, with a key message for diabetes prevention, urging civil society to address the key factors that are driving the global diabetes epidemic, namely the battle against the overconsumption of energy-rich foods and the need for populations at large, but particularly urban ones, to take regular exercise. In the comments section, look out for pieces about diabetes and cancer, gridlocked diabetes guidelines and the social determinants of diabetes. We have a special report looking specifically at diabetes in the Asia-Pacific region and some great reading in the perspective section, including the issue of childhood obesity and diabetes. The first research article is a major piece of epidemiology assessing fasting glucose concentration, diabetes mellitus and vascular risk in a large meta-analysis. The other three articles, one of which we'll focus on in a moment, are looking at treatment approaches for type 2 disease, type 2 diabetes making up 90% of the global diabetes burden. There are two diabetes seminars, the first one looking at diabetes in sub-Saharan Africa. Let's now focus on one of those research articles looking at the treatment of type 2 disease. Earlier I spoke to one of the authors of this study, Professor Cliff Bailey, who is Professor of Medicine at the University of Aston in Birmingham in the United Kingdom. And as this trial is looking at a new drug for the treatment of type 2 disease, my first question to him was, why another drug for diabetes treatment? At the current time, we've got around about 285 million people worldwide with diabetes, and this is projected to rise to around 438 million by the year 2030. That would uh, mean that we would go from a prevalence somewhere around about 6 to 6.5 percent at the moment up to somewhere uh, over 7.5 percent of the population with diabetes. Now, amongst all these people, around about 90 to 95% of these people with diabetes will have type 2 diabetes. This is the type of diabetes that normally develops later in life, and it's associated with both insulin resistance and beta cell dysfunction, which is normally because the uh, beta cells of the islets of Langerhans are not producing enough insulin. So we have a double whammy of problem here both insulin resistance and insulin, uh, relative insulin deficiency. The way in which we normally deal with this is to start with lifestyle advice. That involves diet and exercise and then maybe one glucose-lowering drug and then a second differently acting glucose-lowering drug and if necessary a third differently acting drug and we might then get to the point of uh, introducing insulin therapy. This is because the disease itself is progressive. Small beta cells are less able to cope with the fight against insulin resistance. Eventually, it's necessary to go through a sequence, if you like, of different types of therapies added together in order to combat the situation. 
And these therapies, for the most part, require the presence of some insulin and to be able to work together to try and combat the hyperglycemia. So why is it so specific? Why is hyperglycemia such an important issue? One of the cardinal features of diabetes is hyperglycemia, that is excess glucose in the blood. This has a long-term toxic effect on a wide range of cells and tissues from uh, small blood vessels everywhere, but particularly in the eyes and kidneys, to the cells lining the large arteries, to nerve cells, and to many other cell types around the body like muscles that need glucose to make energy. To avoid excess glucotoxicity, a key feature in the management of all patients with diabetes is to try and bring the blood glucose levels back down to within the normal range. Thank you for that. And Professor Bailey, can you tell us about the specific drug in this trial? Tell us about its characteristics and its mode of action. This particular drug is called dapagliflozin and it works by increasing renal glucose elimination. Normally, the kidney filters around about 180 grams of glucose a day, maybe a little more in people with diabetes. And all of this, or almost all of it, is normally reabsorbed in the proximal renal tubules. And in diabetes, it's usual for some of this glucose to maybe leak out into the urine, in other words, glucosuria, because the renal tubules can't quite cope with this amount of glucose being filtered through. Now this particular new therapy, dapagliflozin, increases the elimination of excess glucose in the urine by inhibiting glucose reabsorption in the proximal tubule. It does this by inhibiting the renal sodium glucose co-transporter SGLT2. And if you can inhibit this, then it's possible to um, enable somewhere between about 50 and 80 grams of glucose to be eliminated each day. You don't completely uh, prevent reabsorption of glucose by the kidney because there are other mechanisms. There's an SGLT1 uh, mechanism a little bit further along the proximal tubule which picks up the uh, residue when SGLT2 is inhibited. But at least by inhibiting SGLT2, you can um, remove somewhere between 50, 80, maybe a little more in some cases of glucose a day in the urine. Now, this is somewhere around about a quarter to a little less than half then of the um, daily filtered glucose, but it's equivalent to about between 200 and 320, maybe 350 kilocalories a day of energy. Now, you imagine that you are having a 2,000 um, kilocalorie a day diet, which is a fairly modest uh, amount, then this drug is enabling around about one-tenth of that energy to be removed, in other words, eliminated in the urine. So this is how the drug is able to lower blood glucose levels by eliminating glucose in the urine or excess glucose in the urine. And by so doing, of course, it's removing energy 
and that translates over a longer period of time into a reduction in body weight. One of the other uh, important features to remember about this drug is that its mode of action is independent of insulin, which is rather different to many of the other uh, drugs that are currently available for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. As type 2 diabetes progresses and beta cell function um, becomes diminished, some of the other drugs will have um, less impact. But we believe that having an insulin independent mechanism of action, which we see here with um, this SGLT2 inhibitor, it should be possible for the drug to continue to have its effect despite the progression of the disease. Another important and interesting feature of this approach to the treatment of diabetes is that it shouldn't increase the risk of hypoglycemia, at least not to cause clinically significant hypoglycemia because the mechanism has, if you like, a self-limiter on it. So as the glucose level comes down, then less glucose will be filtered and even if SGLT2 is inhibited, beyond it, SGLT1 should be able to pick up by then most of that glucose. In other words, at lower filtered glucose levels, we shouldn't overwhelm SGLT1. And Professor Bailey, tell us about the um, design of this phase three trial. Well, this trial was a study conducted at 80 sites, mainly in the US and Canada and some in South America. And it's a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. It involved 546 type 2 diabetes patients who were adults. They were inadequately controlled on metformin on a reasonably high dose of metformin, 1,500 milligrams or more. And these uh, patients were randomized into four arms, one arm to receive placebo and the other three arms to receive dapagliflozin at either 2.5, 5, or 10 milligram dosage, and the dosage was given once daily in the morning. Now, these patients had uh, an HbA1c on average of uh, about 8%. They had the presence of some C-peptides. We know they had insulin there. Uh, most of them were overweight or obese. There was uh, an average BMI of about 31. Because they were all on metformin, were appropriate to metformin. They had adequate renal function to use metformin. They did not have congestive heart failure. They were not um, grossly hypertensive and they had a reasonably normal liver function. When they entered the trial, they all received um, counseling on diet and exercise and then they were followed up for a period of 24 weeks. And at the end of that 24 week period, those individuals receiving placebo had a very small reduction in their glucose levels as indicated by a decrease in glycated hemoglobin, 0.3%, whereas those receiving the active drug had decreases of glycated hemoglobin ranging from 067 to 0.84%. So they had uh, substantially greater reductions in HbA1c. This was confirmed with reductions in blood glucose level 
the uh, fasting plasma glucose level was reduced by somewhere between 1 and 1.3 millimole and there was also a small decrease in body weight. It ranged from 0.9 kilograms in the placebo to between 2.2 and 3 kilograms in those individuals receiving active drug. This was accompanied also by a reduction in their waist circumference. So we know that they were actually, or we have good evidence from this, that they were actually losing proper body mass here. And we can see that there were several other of our expected uh, effects here. Namely, there was no evidence of hypoglycemia, any more than you would get in the placebo. And there were, interestingly, reductions in blood pressure ranging from around 2 to 5 uh, millimeters of mercury for systolic blood pressure. And any side effects at all from this drug? The um, drug, as you might expect, by increasing renal glucose elimination is associated with a mild osmotic diuresis. This appears to translate through as a small increase in hematocrit of around 1 to 2%, which one sees after six months, but there were no apparent changes in electrolyte or fluid balance as far as we could see. By having some glucose or additional glucose in the urine, then uh, one has to look out for the possibility of infections in either the urinary tracts or the genitalia. In this particular study, there weren't any increases in urinary tract infections, but there were some increases in uh, genital infections. Uh, these appear to have been mainly candida infections, and these were largely dealt with by the uh, patients by their own self-medication so that uh, they'd cleared up the time they presented at the clinic. So some encouraging findings from this trial. Where do we go from here and how does this fit with the, you know, the broader strategy for treatment of type 2 diabetes and let's not forget the importance of prevention as, as well as treatment? Well, the SGLT2 inhibitor class, of which dapagliflozin is the first, will need to obviously be tested in many further situations, including its compatibility with the whole range of existing uh, diabetes treatments. Certainly with metformin, it appears to offer an additive efficacy for glucose lowering, so clearly there is an opportunity for its use here. Because it is acting in a non-insulin dependent manner, it should be suitable for use at any time during the natural history of the a diabetes condition and it may be particularly useful in those who are overweight or obese because it is able to lower weight and also it doesn't carry an associated risk of hypoglycemia which is another advantage. As far as we can see from the studies so far it's been well tolerated and not produced any significant uh, adverse events. And we hope, therefore, that this new approach for the treatment of diabetes to remove excess glucose by elimination in the urine will provide an additional and valuable extra agent to our pharmacological armamentarium. 
Well, thank you, Professor Bailey. It's a very interesting study, and we look forward to hearing much more about the potential of this drug's development in the ongoing battle against the treatment of diabetes. Professor Bailey on the line from the University of Aston in the United Kingdom. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. And thank you, Richard. And do look out for the linked comment to this research article and all the research articles in this week's issue. Well, many thanks indeed for listening to this special diabetes podcast for the issue of The Lancet, dated June the 26th to July the 2nd. See you next week.